Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Hey, listen, before you jump into all this, um, okay. actually, we, we want to take a pause here and just have a little bit of a family moment. Yep. You're doing something this summer. And so uh, here at the Rhythm of CTK for our pastors, we have something called a sabbatical that the elders approved and said, hey, Grant, you are eligible to go on a sabbatical. Um, can you tell us what is a sabbatical? So a sabbatical is a time of strategic rest when you get to step away from ministry for a little while so you can recharge your batteries and come back and work even harder than you did before. And uh, with ministry, there's a whole lot of output and not a whole lot of input. Yeah. And so our elders and our ministry, uh, our advisory council together have created uh, an opportunity. If you're here for seven years, as with the title of pastor, you get to do a uh, sabbatical. I didn't do one for my first 14 years. Shame on me. Um, and uh, then I did one five years ago. It seems like it was a year ago, but it was actually five yeah. years ago that we did that. And so uh, it's an opportunity for Laurel and I to kind of yeah. step away and get a little rest so we can come back in the fall uh, ready to go and do ministry even oh, more. Okay, so how long are you going to be away? I'll be gone just June and July. I'll be back in August. And while I'm gone, there's an incredible team of preachers and teachers who are going to be teaching through the rest of Genesis. I got through the first 20 chapters, and now they're going to take you through chapter 30. 
36. That's the goal to get through uh, for this summer. Yeah, so, thank, uh, thanks church, for that, by the church, way. Yeah, you're welcome. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> church is going on the whole time. We're just going to do it a little different. So, so, so let me ask this. Um, as you're going away, um, obviously, I think we can be praying for you. We want to encourage Absolutely. you that way. But what, what would you like to say to us you know, as you're going away for a couple of months? Well, I would say this. Um, first of all, we do appreciate your prayers for rest and rejuvenation. And uh, Laurel and I are in a new season of life. We have an empty nest. Our kids got married last summer. Um, so we're trying to figure out how do you put these pieces together in this next season of our life so you could pray for us. But more than anything, uh, this church is always, mm-hmm. always about Jesus. It's not about a person with a microphone. It's not about somebody up front. It's about Jesus. So I want to encourage you to be faithful all summer long. Uh, I got news for you. Jesus is coming to Christ the King every single weekend, and you should be here to welcome him. That would be awesome. Um, So to be faithful in your attendance during the summertime, to be faithful in your generosity, and to be faithful in your serving, because uh, we still have kids. You know, ministry goes on all summer long, and I want to encourage you to be a faithful church family, even while we're taking a little bit of a breath, and then we'll we'll come back in August and and get ready to keep on moving. So So I have to run to the back, because one of my crazy friends does this thing every now and then where he is willing to have people ask him questions. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I get to go sort through those questions. So I'm going to go do that, but will you tell him about this? whole thing and the phone number and all that stuff. Okay, I'll do that. I will do that. So thanks, Todd, and uh, to those that are in the back helping me pull this thing off. Let me tell you what we're up to. If you're here for the first time and you're wondering what in the world is going on, uh, normally I walk out here with my Bible and my iPad and I preach a prepared message. It's a monologue. I talk at you and we don't think that's the way Christianity should be. In fact, we think Christianity should be a dialogue, that we should have an opportunity to have a conversation and that sometimes it shouldn't just be the preacher that gets to pick the topic. We think actually you should pick the topic because it's a whole lot more fun. So what we're doing uh, about once every quarter, we do something called Ask Me Anything. There is a telephone number right there at the bottom, 360-285-3560 or 360-CTK-3560 if you like it uh, better that way. And you can text in a question right now live. There's a group of people in the wedge um, in the back of the area that are sorting through questions trying to, we can't answer all of them. In fact, I already know we have way too many that came in this week because we started telling you ahead of time. We have more than enough for all three services, but I want you to text in live because we'll take your questions live. Um, And uh, I think it's just one of those moments where you have an opportunity to really trust what God's up to and realize that He can lead us in a conversation. And uh, the only things that I ask is please pray and be nice. Those two things, um, because there's nothing off limits. I don't have any prep. I don't know what the questions are ahead of time, which gives this kind of a real flavor to it. And I think that's good. And we have exactly uh, 20, 30, 29 minutes to be able to take as many questions as we possibly can. Now, my answers cannot be comprehensive. Um, my hope and prayer is to do no harm. Um, Because when you get put on the spot, sometimes you just say dumb things. Um, I don't think I'm the only one that's ever done that before. So uh, that would be awesome if you could do that. It would be great. So let's just dive into it and here we go. All right. Ask me anything. In the sight of God, is a couple married if they only say vows but don't get a marriage license because of financial issues? Okay, next question. Um, (laughs) Will... uh, 
Okay, so that's a great question. Let's start with this. God takes the covenant of marriage very, very seriously. I just came from a wedding this afternoon. Sergi and Katie got married, uh, and it was a beautiful moment. And I reminded them during their premarital counseling, when you say your vows, you're making a covenant with God. That's been the pattern of marriage all the way through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, a relationship between a man and a woman for a lifetime, a committed covenant relationship that puts Jesus in the center of that relationship. It's the best way to do marriage. It's not easy. It's not easy. I'm not going to tell you marriage is easy. God did not make marriage to make you happy. He made it to make you holy. That should tell you something, okay? Iron sharpens iron in lots of different ways. So we shouldn't enter into it lightly. I'm going to say that. And I'm also going to say this. At Christ the King, we will not marry a couple in the, just in the eyes of God. Because Romans 13 says we're supposed to be subject to the governing laws and authorities. The governing law and authority of Whatcom County says if you get married, you need a marriage license in order for us to perform that. And so scripture says we're supposed to be respectful of those rules. They're there for a reason. And so I would encourage you, uh, um, well, I'll just tell you straight out. We just did a marriage training with our pastors. We will not marry someone just in the eyes of God because, because we actually believe that, that we're supposed to be obedient to all of scripture. And with that comes abiding by the governing rules in our particular state. I would also say this, um, uh, but they don't want to get a marriage license because of financial issues. Okay, so a marriage license costs about $62. And I'm going to say this, um, most marriages in this country dissolve because of issues with regards to finances. I mean, that's just reality. And so I would say if $62 is getting in your way, that there's probably some other work that you need to do before you say, I do. And I think we all need to do that kind of work. Uh, we do premarital here at Christ the King. We do saving your marriage before it starts. We do the prepare and rich inventory. We have marriage mentors. We care deeply about that. And one of the areas that we always cover is finances because I promise you it will become a bone of contention between you and your future spouse. So I would say this to whoever asked this question, time out. I think you need to stop. I think you need to wait. I think you need to find some financial stability in your life. I think you need to honor God and do finances His way, which includes actually blessing Him before you do anything else. I would encourage you to do that. In fact, if you need help with that, we have something here called the Whatcom Dream that runs, uh, that runs during, um, I think it's during the summer months and the fall months, and it gives you financial footing. We also have Financial Peace University because I would say if you can't, if you can't pay the $62, there's a whole lot of other things that need to get done before you're ready to say, I do. And believe me, we take, I now pronounce you husband and wife very, very seriously at Christ the King, and I think we always should, Okay. That cover it? We're good? All right. All right. Next question. What is Satan's story? Why was he not forgiven? Yeah. Anybody want to trade places right now? That would be good. You know what's interesting? Satan's story is not that much different than ours. Satan's downfall became because of one thing, pride pride. He actually thought he could be God. Well, I'd like to challenge every single human being in this room. Anytime you say no to God, there's a word for that. It's called pride. Because you actually think, I actually think I know better than God does. And I don't think I'm the only person in the room that's ever crawled back onto the throne of their life, maybe even after they're saved and said, I actually think I can run this show. Just find Jesus. Thank you very much. So Satan's story was simple. He was a created being. 
Here's what's interesting about him. He was a worship leader. He was a worship leader before he got prideful. And you've heard me say this before. I believe this to be true. Whenever pride walks onto a stage, Jesus walks off. And that's why it's so unbelievably important that we stay humble before God. So Lucifer was a worship leader, and then he fell because of his pride. He thought he was smarter than God, bigger than God, and more important than God. And I think we all fall victim to that. Here's an interesting thing. Scripture also says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you feel like, or if I feel like I have to be in charge of absolutely everything, I want us to understand the depth of that. It actually means we're setting ourselves up for the God of heaven to oppose us. I don't know about you, but I can't handle that kind of opposition. I got enough opposition in my life without that. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The reason that Satan was not forgiven is because he never asked. He never humbled himself. The beautiful thing for us tonight is we all have an opportunity to humble ourselves, ask God to forgive us, and the Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that verse is in the Bible. Really glad. So that's His story, all right? Cool. Awesome. Let's just keep right on rolling. Nobody's thrown a rock yet. That's great. Okay, next question. I haven't seen my dad in 14 years. He recently came back into the state. His faults overshadow the few good traits I can remember. Am I biblically required to be in relationship with my family members? Wow. Let me start with this. I'm a father. And I fall short all the time. And all the dads in the room, you can nod your head. We all fall short as fathers. The beautiful thing that we have as followers of Jesus is we have a heavenly father who's perfect. And he never falls short. So no matter what deficits your earthly dad may have left to you, God the Father himself can fill in all those gaps for you. And we can be full and complete adopted children of the Most High God, knowing that we have a good, good Father. I love it when Andy sings that song, is it's a true statement. We have a good, good Father. I'm sorry your dad didn't measure up, or that maybe he even stepped out of your life 14 years ago. That's a heartbreaking, that's a heartbreaking thing for you to have had to walk through. I do know this, though. God the Father didn't walk away. He's been with you every step of the way. So his faults overshadow the few good traits that I can remember. Sorry for that too. Am I biblically required to be in relationship with my family members? I would say this, you know, I, I deal with, with situation and I don't know what kind of a relationship it would be. Um, if it was an abusive relationship, I'll often tell people that, that you, you may need to acknowledge the relationship, but it may not be safe for you to be in the relationship. I mean, the person may have broken trust so badly that, that you may not be able to have proximity to them. It doesn't mean you need to have a relationship with them whatsoever. It really depends to what level the trust was broken. But that doesn't preclude you ever from forgiving them. And I'll tell you why you have to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you're the one that's imprisoned. You're the one that's imprisoned. Why does God ask us to forgive as we have been forgiven? Because of that very reason. Because we've been forgiven much, we're to forgive much. 
And even though that person may have done horrible, unthinkable things, we have an opportunity to be able to forgive them. I think people under, don't understand forgiveness. Forgiveness is when you release someone from your judgment. When you release someone from your judgment, what you really say is this, God, I'm going to trust you to balance the scales. I'm going to judge you to exact vengeance. The Bible says that God said vengeance is mine. That means it's not yours and it's not mine either. You know why? Because vengeance never goes well for us, ever. And only God knows all of the dynamics that are there. So I would encourage you to use wisdom and common sense with regards to whether or not you should have a relationship. But I would say this, none of that relational status precludes you being a person of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Maybe they can't be in your life. I don't know. I deal with people all the time who are estranged from family members. And my question is always this, have you done your part? In 12 steps, we call it clean in our side of the street. We have to look after our own heart because otherwise we end up inside an unbelievably difficult circumstance and God doesn't want us to be there. So forgive, use wisdom, and no matter what your relationship is, you can always pray for your father because I promise you, if he comes to know Jesus, it will change. It'll change, okay? Wow, that is a deep question right there. Do you believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today? Yes. Okay, moving on. Next question. Um, I um, actually grew up in a tradition where certain gifts of the Spirit were not um, were not seen as today, the gifts of prophecy, the gift of tongues. I grew up in that, in that type of history. Um, and then Jesus showed up and the Holy Spirit kicked the sides out of my box that I'd put him in. And, uh, and I found out that it's really, really not smart to ever tell God what he can and can't do. Anybody else figured that out? And so we believe in all of the gifts. We believe that the gifts needed, need to be operated with humility at all times. So you'll notice something. When you, if you ever come forward for prayer after service, you will not have people speaking in tongues because Scripture actually has, has boundaries that are put around that because it's not to confuse or scare anybody. So we believe the right gift at the right time is an incredible gift. And yes, um, I have received pro beautiful prophetic words from the people of Christ the King Community Church. And I am so humbled. You know what I love is this. I love it when they come shaking with a piece of paper and like, what do you have there? And he said, I think I have a word from the Lord for you, but I'm not sure. Well, the Bible says we're supposed to take those words and we're supposed to test them. But I always say, thank you so much for trusting Thank you so much for being obedient. God told you to do this. Now, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to take this word and I'm going to pray over it. And I'm going to pray that if it is the Lord, that he bears witness to that fact. We have seen beautiful gifts be exercised in that humble way. I think it goes with the humility piece that we talked about earlier. And I'm so thankful to be in a church. We don't tell God what he can and can't do. And he surprises us continuously and perpetually. So do we believe all the gifts are for today? We do. We think they need to be used responsibly. And, uh, and you are welcome to use your gift here at Christ the King Community Church. Glad to have you on the team. Okay? Awesome. Let's keep on going. What is the church's philosophy of children's involvement and or their place in the church, both the worship gathering and in general? Well, I would say this, um, nothing drives me more crazy than when I hear people say this, you know, let, hey, let's hear it for our young people and children. They're the church of tomorrow. Uh, no, they're the church of today. 
And they're as much of the church of today as anybody else in the room, regardless of where they may meet. Now, we try to create really good environments that will meet a child's need, um, but we also try to observe the rights of parents. And so parents, I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to be a parent. Now, I'm going to get myself in all kinds of trouble now. This is where it gets a little bit crazy. Um, I know, mom and dad, that you think everything that your beautiful little Johnny and, and Janie do, I know that you think everything they do is beautiful and cool and awesome and wonderful. Can I love you enough to say this? Everything that your kid does to you that may be beautiful to the rest of the world is slightly annoying. Um, <laughs> and so when your kids... So when your kids are loud or they're distracting other people around you, I'd actually like to appeal to you as a parent to be discerning and to realize that, that the message that we're trying to give here at Christ the King is really, really important. Uh, I got to be a part of a beautiful moment today with a young woman and a young man, both of whom came here, and because we had an uninterrupted service that day, I'm not saying God couldn't have touched them in a distracted service, but they got to hear Jesus a little easier because people around them were observing just really good social etiquette, okay? So mom and dad, I'm going to say this. If you choose to have your kids in the worship center with you, if they become distracting to the other people around you, which means you're not going to use your standard, you're going to use their standard, uh, we would ask that you just quietly step out. We have a family room actually, that we're trying to improve so it's a better experience for you. We have a mother's nursing room. We have a phenomenal kids ministry that talks to your kids in an appropriate way so they can learn about Jesus. So mom and dad, I'm asking, if you do bring your kids into the worship center, please just be respectful. This is an adult environment, okay? So I reserve the right to use adult language when I'm preaching. Um, so if I use the word circumcision, if I use the word eunuch, if you brought your kid in here... Um, it's on you what questions they ask you when you're driving home after the message if they hear those words, okay? And so if you want to be uncomfortable, go for it. Um, but I would just ask, it's kind of like, like when you go to the movie theater and you see the person roll in next to you with the stroller. Can we be honest? We all think a bad thing when that happens to us, right? This is an adult room. I'm talking to big grown-ups, so mom and dad, you're welcome to have your kids, but we would ask you to please just help everybody out um, so that it's not a distraction. Does that make sense? We're good? Everybody's nodding. Nobody's throwing a bottle. Okay, that's good. All right, let's take a look. I meant baby bottle, not the other kind. All right, just so you know. Come on, Saturday night. Keep up with me a little bit. Some of you are nodding off, all right? Okay. I was in an abusive relationship and struggled with forgiveness. I'm walking with God now. Okay, can we just stop there for a second? Awesome. That's beautiful. You just made my night. We think Jesus is everything, okay? I was in an abusive relationship. I struggle with forgiveness. I'm walking with God now. Why can't I completely forgive him for years of pain? I don't want to be stuck anymore. Has anyone else learned that forgiveness is hard? It's hard. I think when you ask the question, why can't I completely forgive him for years of pain, 
I think you're making a testimony to how big the pile of pain actually was. Uh, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I know God's heart was broken as someone else used their, their sinful nature to victimize you. And that's horrible, and we love you. And Jesus loves you. And he wants to heal you, and he didn't ask you to forgive your abuser because he's trying to belittle the pain at all. It's just he does want to set you free. But I've learned something. Sometimes forgiving, completely forgiving, comes one hour at a time. And sometimes you can forgive somebody completely in that moment. And then a memory comes back and you've got to forgive them again. And again, and again, and again, and again. You know, uh, I've asked Jesus to forgive my sins, but I mess up every single day. I serve a Savior who forgives. If I confess, He forgives And so I think for all of us, we have to have that moment when this is going to take a lifetime. I don't know if you know this or not, but forgiveness doesn't come with a side of amnesia. Right? That stuff is deeply imprinted. It happened to you. It hurt. And we're never going to put a bumper sticker on your pain, ever. But we're also going to say this. When we forgive... There's a little bit more freedom that happens every single time. And I may have to forgive over and over and over and over and over again. Every time I do that, I'm honoring Jesus. And Jesus is cheering for you every time you summon the courage to say, I forgive again, God. Forgive as I have been forgiven. I've been forgiven completely, perpetually. I mean, it's an incredible thing. God is God. I'm not him. So I have to take all of my humanity and say, God, with all of the strength that I have, And then the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God to forgive. I choose to forgive today. I might slip backwards tomorrow, but I'm going to keep going. And I'll continue to forgive as much as I possibly can. So do this. Don't let the devil push your shame button with that question. You're just not forgiving enough. What? Don't let him push your shame button that way. You are a daughter or a son of the Most High God and you are forgiving out of the overflow of the heart because of how Jesus forgave you. That is huge spiritual work. In this environment, you're actually our hero. So keep setting an example for us and we'll keep up with you as best we can. Okay? We could talk. Can we agree that we could take 26 weeks on that question instead of four minutes? Plus, we have an amazing group of helpers around here, and we refer to professional counselors in our community that we love. There are several of them sitting here right now. We would love to connect you to people who can walk alongside of you as you continue to work this out. This is a lifelong journey, but I need you to know you're not alone, okay? We're with you. It's already 6.56. Good grief, Grant. Go faster. Okay. Um, My husband's no longer a believer and doesn't want me giving our money to the church. Okay. The Bible says I should tithe, but also that I should respect my husband. What should I do? Wow. (laughs) Oh, well, that's all the time we have for tonight. So um, (laughs) we're going to land this plane. Why can't somebody ask me a question about dinosaurs or something easy like that? Like, wow. Okay. So I would say this. 
I think there are respectful ways to disagree with somebody. And I might be completely wrong, but I'm going to go this direction because I think, I think this is the right way to go. Um, ultimately, one day, I will answer to Jesus. I'm not going to be on Laurel Fishbook's committee when they assemble around her. I think there's going to be a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I would hope and pray that my wife would choose to be obedient to God in every situation. Now, I think there's a respectful way to be able to do this. Like, I'm not going to turn this into a contest. So I would envision the conversation would go something like this. I understand that we may disagree on this one. But I believe that God has called me to a life of sacrificial generosity. So I'm going to ask you, while I respect your right to not believe, I would ask your respect in my belief. And so I'm going to be writing a check or putting something in every week because I know at the end of my life, down the road, I want God's respect more than anything. I want His well done, good and faithful servant. And I don't say this lightly because I know this is really, 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 really difficult. But I also know right now, there's a lady sitting in this service who about six years ago was forbidden by her husband to come and worship God. And she said in a very kind way, God called me to worship him. So I'm respectfully going to decline your request. And she's here every Saturday night and her hands shake when she worships. But she's a hero in this church. Because she believes ultimately that God is her authority. And while she is being respectful, she hasn't turned it into a fight or a contest. She's being respectful. She's living out Jesus in front of her husband. And you know what? I think he is a pre-Christian. I think it's only a matter of time until her faithfulness touches his heart so deeply. So... I might take another run at that another time, but that's as good as I got for right now, okay? All right, 6.59, maybe one more. Okay, next one. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Um, and Randy and Melanie and Todd in the back. Um, my favorite food, I love Italian. I mean, I, I love it. I crave it. I, when, when I went to Italy and found out that pasta is an appetizer, <laughs> like that's, they start with a bowl of that and then they bring you chicken or fish or beef. After that, I thought, this is heaven. I can die happy right now. So I love Italian. It makes me so happy. Um, I even take Olive Garden. I mean, but if, I, if Laurel and I are going on a date, you're either going to find us uh, at Mambo Italiano, which is just absolutely fantastic. Can I get an amen from somebody? I mean, it's just really, really good. Um, uh, uh, Deanna's is wonderful. There's so many great places. Everybody's nodding. They're like hungry now too, right? Let's go for dinner afterwards. We can make up and hug if I offended you. So, um, 
So I love Italian, which is fantastic. Favorite movie, hands down, Braveheart. Braveheart. Because of one word. You know the word, right? At the end of the movie, freedom. I, uh, I love freedom. I love the freedom of this country. I love the freedom of this church. I love the fact that you support me. You've been supporting me for almost, I mean, I'm coming into, I'm going to be at 20 years with you guys pretty soon. That's craziness in the church world. Um, I know freedom isn't free. I love the veterans that come to, to, to church here. I love our freedom in worship, that we can worship any way that the Lord would, would, would bring us to um, and I love the freedom every single week to proclaim the word of God without, uh, without apology. Uh, I'll tell you something, my friends. Uh, this book is becoming less and less popular. And to me, that means it's becoming more and more relevant every single week. And so I thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to freely speak the name of Jesus every single week here. My covenant with you is that the name of Jesus will be the name that we speak more than any other name at Christ the King Church. We named this, this movement after him because this is all about him. It's all about Jesus 100% of the time. I'm thankful for the freedom to take questions, even hard ones. Um, I'm thankful for the freedom to get it wrong every once in a while. This church has been highly patient with its teaching pastor. And I thank you that I know if I ever got it wrong, that you would welcome me back the next week to say, hey guys, I got it wrong, I apologize. Because that's the kind of family this is. So we're going to, um, we're going to continue to build on that freedom. Because I don't know about you, but, but I'd love to have another long run of ministry when we spend every waking moment making Jesus just a little bit more famous in Whatcom County. So I hope you'll join me in that. Um, so we are. Laurel and I, are gonna, we're going to take a little break. Here's the coolest thing. Churches next weekend, Saturday night and Sunday. Um, Pastor Todd, Pastor Lem, uh, Pastor Brian Barons, our new creative director, is going to be teaching. Um, if you have never heard Brian Barons preach before, it's a treat. Like you need to figure out when he, that, that young guy brings truth. Uh, Pastor Garrett, uh, Angel Finsred is going to be teaching this, this summer. So it's a great group of people that are going to be here. They're working really, really hard to bring you the word every single week. And I'm going away with unbelievable confidence and with an absolute plan that when we roll back here in August again, uh, I'm going to tell you all the things that that Jesus told me. And so I love preaching with jet lag, but I like preaching even more when I'm rested um, and my mind is actually focused. So I look forward to seeing you guys again in August. It's going to be a great fall. Looking forward to seeing what God does as we continue to press in deeply into what he has for our little part of his kingdom. Um, uh, I was asked to say something. I actually got a little message uh, which I thought was kind of funny. Somebody said, you know, hey, I heard that you were going away. It's okay. Um, uh, if you don't see me, I'll just be over at Cornwall. Um, well, I hate to break it to you, but Pastor Bob Marvel is on sabbatical too. And, um, and somebody asked me, did you guys plan that? And my answer is maybe we did. And maybe we didn't. All right. Would you pray with me tonight as we close? Father God, thank you for an opportunity to have a conversation 
Thank you for good questions and hard questions. God, I pray for each person who may have been courageous enough to send in a question. God, I thank you that the word of God is available to them as it is to me. I thank you that the Holy Spirit can speak to them. And God, I pray that they would have ears to hear. And that regardless of my answer, that they would live in agreement with you. So Lord Jesus, thank you for a wonderful church that I am so honored to serve. Bless the team that continues to serve all summer long. God, we know ministry doesn't take a break. Would you continue to do incredible things at Christ the King? And we will give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to dive in with both feet. We did it last night. Saturday night did not let me off the hook at all. I mean, we went deep, fast, in a hurry. There were no like easy questions till we got all the way to the very end. All right. So I can't stall anymore. Let's get started. Okay. Ask me anything. What does the Bible say about dinosaurs? Is CTK one of those churches that doesn't believe they ever existed? <laughs> I'm not sure that there's churches out there that can argue with a fossil record, but anyway, okay, so um, it's basic anthropology. Anyway, um, so what does the Bible have to say about dinosaurs? I actually love this question. We've been doing this in Genesis, and I'm amazed how many kids have come up and just said, hey, Grant, what, is, what does the Bible actually have to say? So Job which is actually, um, if you look at the timeline, the way it's put together, is dated as the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, it has an incredible amount of information inside of it. Job chapter 40 and chapter 41 mentions two different types of creatures. One is a behemoth, one is a leviathan. Um, and both of those, I think, can fall very easily to the dinosaur period that would have followed inside of the human timeline. And so we don't deny the existence of dinosaurs. There are fossils that actually say they were here, so the, we know they're in the story somewhere. The behemoth that's described in the book of Job is actually described as having a tail as large and moving like a cedar tree. That's significant, because if you've ever seen a cedar tree in Lebanon, which I've actually had the privilege of being able to go to Israel and see that type of thing, they are humongous. They're like a redwood. I mean, they are unbelievably huge. And so I think the Bible teaches the existence of dinosaurs. I think they fall into the historical period just as easily as can be. So we don't deny the existence of something that we can see in the fossil record. I love dinosaurs. I used to have a little stuffed one when I was a kid. And... Uh, so dinosaurs are cool, and I actually think they're biblical. So if you want to check it out, Job chapter 40, Job chapter 41, check those things out specifically. And so, yeah, we're down with dinosaurs around here. We think they're awesome. Okay, all right. Next question. There you go. Would you ever consider adding a midweek service in order to go through the scriptures together as a church family? Okay, next question. Um, no, uh, <laughs> So would we ever consider something? Sure, we can consider everything. I mean, I think uh, uh, we're, we're always looking for opportunities to be able to teach the Bible every time. I do it three times a weekend, every weekend, so that's kind of cool. But I would say this in answer to that, okay? Um, there's all different kinds of gatherings. Uh, Acts chapter 2 talks about how the original church met in temple courts, gatherings like this, and also in house to house. Um, you may not know this, but uh, if you are not in a small group, you're missing out on this opportunity, 
because we have midweek services in small groups all around the county that have three emphases, prayer, scripture, and service. That, that, that's the parts that we're working on right now. In fact, people asked me in the last year, hey Grant, could you make sure every single time we have small group questions that we have an anchor text that we can go back to so we can dig through the word together and discover what God is saying to us as a smaller community. So I would say this midweek service actually exists. We just do it differently because I know something. You can't experience community staring at the back of somebody else's head for 60 minutes a week. You can't. You can't, especially in a bigger church. You have to be able to find smaller communities. So we actually take this and put it in smaller communities. So if you're looking for this, I'm telling you it already exists. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. I did a wedding yesterday for a young couple who have had an incredible transformational story. I mean, God met them both in their recovery at different times, brought them together. And I will say, besides the joy of marrying uh, Sergi and Katie yesterday, my greatest joy was seeing their small group sit together at the wedding. It's a group of empty nesters, and this is a couple, that, they weren't even married, they're pre-marrieds, and yet they have found biblical community together. My heart as a pastor was just beaming yesterday, because here's this group of people that have found each other, they're loving each other in Jesus' name, accomplishing the one another commands of Scripture. I think that's beautiful and important. Guys, I'm going to tell you something, community, church is a team sport. We're supposed to do this together. Okay, so we're going to create lots of different types of, uh, of that. So I'm not saying, no, we're never going to do a midweek service, but I'm saying we already have one. There's hundreds of them all over the county, and you need to be in one because it's important that you have community as well. Okay, next question. Let's roll on to the next one. There are so many prophets, in quotes, thank you, um, out there telling us what's going to happen. If listening, is listening to prophets okay? And if so, how do you know who to listen to? Okay, um, so here's what I know about the prophetic gift. It's valid. It's beautiful. But this is how you test a prophet. Are they humble? And when you cut them, do they bleed love? A real prophet will always bleed the love of God for the people that he or she is speaking to. So here's what I know about pride. Pride is opposed by God. Scripture said God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I love it when people bring me a prophetic word and they bring it with shaking hands going, God told me to give this to you and I'm not sure if I should or not, but I'm being as obedient as I can, so here you go. And then when I take it, I say thank you and they go, okay, my job is done. Because prophets are to bring a word from the Lord forward and then they're to take their hands off of it. They're not there to keep score or to regulate how that word is handled. The Bible actually says that every word is supposed to be tested. So we believe in a prophetic gift, but we also believe in accountability. So I'll tell you a story from years ago. Um, 2003, before the big leadership shake-up happened here at Christ the King Church. Pastor Derek Archer can tell you the truth of this story. I got a call from another lady here in, um, uh, uh, who attended a completely different church. She said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And I was a little freaked out, so I took Derek with me, because <laughs> that's always a good idea. Um, and Derek came along, and we sat in the corner of another church, and this lady came, and she pulled out a tape recorder, and she said, I have a word from the Lord for you. 
about something that's coming and it's going to feel like your whole world is shaking underneath of you. Laurel and I still have that word because she wrote it down. She said, your world is going to feel like it's getting turned upside down. But you need to know God is in this. And she gave us the word. She tape recorded what she shared with me. And I said, so you, can you tell me about the tape recorder? She goes, yeah. She goes, I will submit this to my elders at my church. And if this is not accurate, I don't get to use this gift here anymore. Authority plus accountability. You know what? She was spot on. And there were moments in the coming weeks when I was so freaked out and so scared because it felt like my whole world was coming apart. But I had this word from the Lord that just said, I got this. I got this. So um, is it okay to listen to prophets? Yes, but you have to be discerning. Can we admit something? There have been a lot of prophets in the last couple of years that have said the world is ending. (laughs) I'm still here. You're still here. I think we're doing okay. All right? So I think we need to be discerning and go, is that truly from the word? Is that from God? And I also know this, a true prophetic word will never contradict scripture ever. This is the final authority right here. So if it doesn't line up with this, sorry, you're wrong. That was not Jesus that was speaking to you. So we have to hold on to those two things. Um, And the final part of, of the question I think comes back to, is it presented in humility is it, is it presented in love? And is it for the building up of believers? If it's an admonishing word, it can call us to a higher level of accountability, but we're not accountable to the prophet ever. We're accountable to Jesus because he's the greatest prophet of all time. Amen? Amen. Okay. We covered that one. We're good. All right. Everybody's nodding. Nobody freaked out. Good. Okay. Next one. Do you believe in spiritual warfare and, and that it is still happening? How does God instruct us to combat it? Okay, Um, do I believe in spiritual warfare? Yes, (laughs) Uh, I see it every day. I experience it every weekend. I stand back here in the corner and I'll tell you what, I have two voices. I have the voice of God saying, be bold, be strong and very courageous. But I also have another voice that I hear on a regular basis. And then people are like, oh, Grant, hears voices. Let's tweet that. Um, (laughs) I hear the same accusing voice that you hear. Like, who in the world do you think you are to open a Bible? You're full of shame. You got nothing for these people. I mean, I hear that voice too at exactly the same time. Spiritual warfare comes in lots of different packages, shapes, and sizes. Um, Do we do deliverance ministry here at Christ the King? Yes, when it's necessary. Do we publicize that? Nope. Because let's face it, Hollywood has taken, has taken spiritual warfare and turned it into something that it's not. Okay, here's the beautiful thing about the authority of the name of Jesus. If you tell a demon to be quiet in the name of Jesus, he gets quiet. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We could preach that this morning, couldn't we? That would be kind of cool. So do I believe in spiritual warfare? Yes, all of the time. Not everything that's bad that happens in your life is spiritual warfare. Sometimes your radiator just goes out. That's the way it is, okay? You live in a broken world. That's how it goes, okay? Um, But do we believe in spiritual warfare? Absolutely. How does God instruct us to combat it? uh, The armor of God. I get up in the morning and put on the armor because I need it. 
I don't know about you, I need a helmet of salvation every single day because this is where the war for my mind happens. I need to put a helmet on. I'm a hockey player. I know the benefit of a helmet, okay? You put it on to protect your brain. That's what you do. Uh, um, the, the sword of truth, it's unbelievable. This is the sword, and you need to pick it up more than just 60 minutes on a Sunday. You need to pick up this sword every single day and learn how to make it sharp in your mind and your heart so that you can fight back. The Bible actually says that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's a promise. It also says that if you take up this armor, that you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. So my question is this, why would you take a jackknife into a fight with the devil himself when God gave you a sword? Right? So if you're going to pick a fight, make sure you're armed and that you're ready to go in that. I also love that a part of the armor of God is to, is to, to put shoes on, the shoes of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We fight against principalities and powers, and we don't do it under human authority. That's a good way to, to get your tail kicked. We do it under the authority of the name of Jesus, who has already won that battle, has already defeated Satan, which means this, anything he tells you is a lie. He's a liar. So when he tells you a failure, it's just like, nope. My God says I'm not a failure. My God says I'm a dearly loved child of the Most High God. I may not feel like it today, but that's who I am. I'm going to live to that identity. That's why we did the whole series on identity theft. So spiritual warfare, yes. How does God instruct us to combat it? We come back against it by resisting the devil and putting on the armor of God, Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. You should read those on a regular basis. I have those scriptures on speed dial in my life because I need them, okay? All right, next one. Who created God? Here's what's interesting. So that's actually a self-defeating, circular reasoning question, right? It goes back to the old one. You know, if God can create anything, can he create a rock big enough that he can't lift it? Um, it's a self-defeating question. So the answer to the question is very, actually, it's quite simple. No one. The Bible says God had no beginning and no end. The Bible said he is alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, not the beginning and not the end at exactly the same time because God is too big for our understanding. In fact, I would say this, if you can fully explain God, what kind of God do you have? Yeah, right? Trying to summarize the Trinity in an egg. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Shell, white, uh, yolk, and that whole thing. It's helpful as far as a metaphor, a picture inside of our minds, but that's not an exhaustive understanding of who God is. So no one created God. God has always been. God will always be. He's omnipresent, omnipotent. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present in every single aspect of our lives. And this is the beautiful thing. He's personal. I think there's a better question than who created God. I think the better question is this. Have you forgotten the fact that he created you? He created you to love him in return, to offer your life as a living sacrifice. So no one created God. God has always been and always will be. And that puts us in perspective of where we fit in the food chain. Here's the beautiful part of it. We have an opportunity to be adopted into his family. And you can take that opportunity today by humbling your heart and saying, Jesus, will you accept me into your family? I know I've done wrong, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful promise that we have today. So nobody created God. God's always been and always will be. Okay, let's go to the next one. What time we got? Okay, we still got time, All right. 
Why does the Lord sometimes say no to healing? Why does he allow good, faithful, and devoted servants to suffer for a long time? I don't know why he says no. I don't know. And those of you that know, we've been praying, you guys have been praying for my wife for 20 years. I don't know why the, why the, question, the answer has been no so far, but I do know this. It's an opportunity for me to trust him. And I think that's the answer to the second part of it. God will use and allow suffering in our life in order to give us an opportunity to make sure that it's him that people see in our lives and not our own strength. And that's not an easy answer. I'll tell you what, you want to know what, what, what tires me out as a pastor is walking alongside of people who are hurting and suffering. And I would love to put a nice bumper sticker answer on your pain, but I don't think that's responsible. So I would answer the question, why does the Lord say no to healing sometimes? It's because he's God and it's not because he doesn't want to. Not because he doesn't want to. I talked about this last week in the, in the message just a little bit. I'm amazed. I go to the cancer ward and I talk to people and they will actually give thanks to God for a disease because of what it opens up in their life and in their heart and the opportunities for them to testify to the goodness of God's faithfulness even when we're hurting. The Bible says that, that Jesus actually, um, that his obedience was perfected in his suffering I don't know about you, I don't learn much when everything's going awesome. Just be honest. When a time of suffering and and, and testing comes into my life, then I have an opportunity to figure out whether or not I really trust God or not. Because it's really to say, it's so easy to say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good when everything's going fantastic. Can you say that when life is hard and challenging? So, We were at the pool of Bethesda not too long ago. That story says there was a man there who had waited 38 years. 38 years for a touch from God. Why did God wait 38 years? I have no idea, but I know this. When the time was perfect, that man was healed. So we hold on to that every single day. I've been praying for 26 years that God would touch my my wife's eyes and allow her to be able to see and I hold on to his promise every single day and I keep banging on the door because I think that's a part of what God is working out in my life and I need to be persistent and keep kicking on that door. You know what I want? I want to get to heaven someday and I'm going to line up right behind the persistent widow. There's a story in scripture of a lady who kept banging on the door of a righteous judge. I want to get into heaven someday. I want to have Jesus look at me and go, I know you too. (laughs) You drove me nuts. You pounded on the door every single day because I'm asking for something that I believe is in God's will. And I also believe it's in God's capability to heal anytime that he wants to. I don't know about you. I'm voting for today for a miracle for my wife. And I actually believe that miracle's been broken loose in heaven. I'm just waiting for her earthly body to catch up, okay? So we'll hold to that as best that we possibly can. And good, faithful, and devoted servants with suffering, I think one of the ways that you become good, faithful, and devoted 
is that you're willing to trust God even when it's really, really hard. I've never met anyone who was good, faithful, and devoted without having gone through some really tough stuff. Peter said that he welcomed suffering because of what it taught him about Jesus, who was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's how the Bible says. I wish I had a nice, easy pastoral answer for everybody. I don't. All I know is this. God is good. God is able. God is faithful. And ultimately, we're all looking for one sentence at the end of our life. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we press into that together. Okay, I know that's not complete and exhaustive. I think maybe we need to do a series sometime on healing. We should do that, okay? Next one, uh, we're running out of time. After 32 years of drinking, I'm 124 days sober. That's, you made my day. That's awesome. Good for you. Holy cow. Okay, I'm trying to learn how to regain my sanity and give it to God. Where in the Bible should I start? Uh, I would say the book of John. The book of John is intimate. It's a beautiful conversation between God and his close friends. And we learn the heart of God for all people. So I would say the book of John. I don't think you can go wrong with the book of John as a beautiful starting place. You know, and I, have, I think it's important to be able to say this. Um, when it comes to scripture, the Bible's one of the few books where a lot of people don't start in the very beginning because there's chronological pieces and then there's prophetic books. There's different classi- uh, classifications of genres and all the rest of it. And I know this can be confusing. I, I had a kid one time, Danny Fingerson, who came to Camp Cedarwood. I remember him calling me saying, Grant, I started reading the Bible. Man, I got all the way into numbers and then I just kind of got bogged down. I'm like, he's 16 years old. I'm like, wow, holy cow, right? And I wish I, would have, I wish I would have gotten to him earlier and just said, okay, there's this Old Testament, New Testament. I think we need to start with the words of Jesus. They're life-giving to us. And then we can work into different parts of the book. So especially for somebody who's walking a recovery journey here, a journey towards wholeness, I would say the book of John because Jesus answers so many questions about who he is. I'm the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am, I, I am all that you need. All of those pieces are put together in the book of John, and I think it's just such a beautiful representation. I would go, I would go to John, and then actually, because of, of um, the recovery piece that's here, I would also say First and Second Peter, because Peter had to recover a lot too, and, 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 and First and Second Peter are a summary of someone who, who had a difficult season, but then moved in the right direction in a really, really, really good way. So I would say... I would start with the book of John and then I'd go to First and Second Peter. Um, as a person who does his best to walk in recovery every single day, I spend a lot of time in First and Second Peter because he's my guy, right? Plus we both had big mouths that get us in trouble so I can relate to Peter big time, okay? We got time for like maybe one more, okay? If forgiveness isn't asked for, am I required to forgive? But we get a lot of questions about forgiveness every single time we do this. If forgiveness isn't asked for, am I required to forgive? Yes. And I'll tell you why. Jesus is on a cross. Dying for me. 
And I was not there to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Before I could even ask, these were the words that came out of Jesus' mouth. Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. That was for me and for you. Before any of us were even born, God had made a pronouncement. I choose to forgive. And let me tell you why that's important. If you choose not to forgive, you will forever be in an emotional and spiritual prison. And I know it's not easy. In fact, we had a question last night about a dad who came back into somebody's life after 14 years, had done unthinkable things to them. And there was a question with regards to, I don't know how, I don't know how to forgive them because of everything that they did. And my answer was, you forgive them moment by moment, day by day, because I don't know about you, but I've discovered this forgiveness is something that I need to participate in every day, over and over Because my Bible says to forgive as the Lord forgave me. Well, I know the pile of stuff that God had to forgive to wipe my slate clean. And God calls me to participate that. So you may forgive today and then human nature may get caught up with you and your memory comes flashing back into your mind and you go, I'm not sure. And then you wake up the next morning and say, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, I choose to forgive I choose to forgive. I say this a lot. Forgiveness does not come with the side of amnesia. Right? God can forgive and forget. I've never met a human being that could fully and completely do that. So every day we need to choose to forgive so we can live in that moment of forgiveness, forgiving as Christ has forgiven us. It's not easy. In fact, it's not work for cowards. I'll tell you that much. I think forgiving people are the most courageous people on the face of the earth. So I believe that you need to choose because the answer to this question, if forgiveness isn't asked for, am I still required to forgive? Yes, so that you can release someone from your judgment. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is when you release someone from your judgment and you hand them over into the hands of God. That's why the Bible says that God said, vengeance is mine, it's not yours. Because you know why? None of us are good with vengeance. It doesn't go good for any of us when we decide to have vengeance in our heart. That's why God says, you got to trust it to me. Trust them to me. Trust your abuser to me. Trust your gossiper to me. Trust your family member that won't talk to you anymore to me. Trust your estranged child to me. Trust that business partner that did something to you. You need to trust them to me. And you need to choose to forgive. Because if you choose to forgive, your soul will be released And you'll no longer be in that emotional and spiritual prison. As someone who has been forgiven much, I've been called to forgive much. And I hope and pray that we will always be the kind of followers of Jesus that receive his forgiveness and then pay it forward to everyone so that we can be just like Jesus. That's the goal, right? Let's just be like Jesus, and I can't think of a more forgiving person than Jesus. So, our time is done. It goes probably, I hope it went fast for you. It does not go fast for me. I'm just going to be honest, and I got one more service to go through. Um, So, as I disappear for a couple of months, I I do want to say this to you. Um, I have so much hope for our future. Because I think God's doing something in a way that I've never seen him do before. 
He's stirring something in this county. I have great encouragement and great hope for the days that are in front of us. So Laurel and I are going to go away. We're going to take a deep breath because we want to come back in August and I'll, I'll make you a promise. I want to come back. Wow, Grant's crying. What a surprise. Um, <laughs> and preach this with more conviction than ever. When the culture says this book is more and more irrelevant, what it means to me is it's more relevant than it's ever been before. And you don't need more of my brain, you need more of scripture. And so I'm going to, I covenant with you that when we come back in August, I'm just going to pick up where all the pastors this summer are going to leave off and we're going to do this together. I've got great hope. I've got great joy. I still have so much passion and I hope we can move into this next season in a way that honors God. We've got some amazing things on the runway, um, and we're excited to see what God does for us. So I really, really appreciate you guys. Um, we have been, you have tolerated me for almost 20 years, and I'm so unbelievably grateful for a church that is both forgiving, because I have needed to be forgiven much over the years, um, but also is a church that stands with us when we have to talk about the hard things. I love you. I appreciate you. Super excited to come back and to see what God has for us in this next season. And so I would love to have an opportunity to pray for you. And then I'm going to go hang out with my peeps, which is you guys. Um, and would love to say hi and, and give hugs out in the comments. So if you're good for that, if you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here across the front. Uh, but would you pray with me? Because I think talking to Jesus would be the best way to wrap this up. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this family of faith. I thank you for the hope that they give me every week. God, I pray that we would all be forgiving people. Lord, we have been forgiven much, and I pray that we would forgive. God, I thank you that your word is more than enough. And I thank you that you've called us to be a church, both in the big and in the small. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity uh, to be with family today. I pray your blessing over them in the months of June and July. Lord, I pray for uh, Pastor Todd, Pastor Lem, Pastor Brian Behrens, Pastor uh, uh, Lemusita, uh, for uh, Angel Finsrud, Garrett Shelsta, who are going to bring the word over the next couple of months. Lord, may they bring it with passion and power, and may God's people be here to receive it. We give you great glory and honor as the answer to all of our questions. I thank you, Jesus for being Jesus today. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Next question. Why don't we do communion more often, at least monthly? Uh, sure, let's just dive right in. Um, First of all, can we demystify communion for just a second? It's a simple remembrance that you can do any time with your family. You don't need a church license to do communion. We know that, right? Okay? So you could actually take a time as a family around the dinner table one night. A piece of bread and a small bit of juice is all you need to be able to do that to remember 
the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I mean, you're looking at the new covenant. I mean, it's a personal, it was, it was part of a regular meal that they had. And so I would encourage you to not make communion uh, uh, so distant that it loses its holiness and its sacredness. I think you can enter into that as a family. I think small groups should be doing communion on a regular basis. I really think you should do that together as a family. And I would say this, we, we try to do communion quarterly here. It is no small undertaking to give communion to this many people, all right? And this is a summertime crowd. In the wintertime, it's even more so. And so uh, let me use this as a bit of a commercial. If you'd like to help us celebrate communion more often, we have volunteer teams that come in and fill thousands of little tiny cups, okay? And it's no small project. It takes a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon to get communion. You could sign up at the connection point and say, hey, I'd like to help facilitate communion. Uh, We're always looking for new and creative ways to be able to do that. But I also want you to understand communion was meant for real people living real life. So you don't need to be in church to celebrate communion. So if you feel prompted by God to do that together as a family or a small group or a group of friends, do it, okay? All right, I'll sprinkle some clergy dust over top of all of you and you can go and do that, all right? Okay, next question. Do you think God reveals himself in ways other than church and the Bible? I don't need to answer it. You guys just answered it for me. People are like, yeah, yes, he does. Um, I mean, when you think about this, the Bible tells us that God reveals himself in creation. The mountains proclaim the glory of God. The heavens declare his beauty and his majesty. I mean, sometimes the best way to, to have God reveal himself to you is to go for a walk. Like, just get outside. I believe God also reveals himself in church. Otherwise, we wouldn't do this. I believe he reveals himself primarily through the word. And that's why I think it's important for us to know this. God will never contradict his word. So if God's revealing himself to you and it contradicts anything in this book, is one thing I can tell you. It's not God you're hearing. God is always consistent. He's always true to his word. I also think God reveals himself uh, through other people. I've had some beautiful Jesus encounters together today with other people who've come up and blessed in, in, in beautiful, humble ways. Now, I had two people after the last service just pray over me. I'll tell you what, the whole Trinity showed up in those prayers. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was there with us in that moment. So I believe God reveals himself in that way. Um, I think we have to be very careful that in, those, in, those, in, the, in the world of personal revelation that we don't presume to speak on behalf of God. We should say those words, thus saith the Lord, with a little bit of fear and trembling. We shouldn't take that lightly because he's God and we're not him. Okay, but does God reveal himself in many other ways other than the church and the Bible? Absolutely. And can I tell you a part of my sabbatical time together with Laurel is we want to go away and listen to him. We want to hear him talk. I want to do my quiet time for another reason other than sermon preparation. So you can pray for us while we're gone that we would hear God in new and fresh ways. Um, I love it when God speaks to me. And sometimes we have to get really, really quiet in order to hear him speak, but, but let's all be listening to him all summer long, okay? So more than just church and the Bible, you bet, absolutely. Okay, next question. Is marriage, is a marriage doomed, oh, that's a good word to put in there, okay? Is a marriage doomed if you're not equally yoked from the beginning? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Let me just think well, for a second. We can switch spots anytime. Um, Is a marriage doomed if you're not equally yoked from the beginning? Well, I would say absolutely not. Um, 
Absolutely not, but I do want you to know this. Um, the answer to any successful marriage is actually being yoked together as a couple with Jesus. That's the, in fact, that's the only thing that allows you to be truly successful. Because in that place of covenant relationship with each other, you can explore the depths of your soul and connect with the God who inspired it. I mean, the Bible begins with a wedding and ends with a wedding. And Jesus consistently teaches about the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman all the way through Scripture. So we need to embrace that. Um, I was asked the other day, Grant, would you marry um, a saved person and an unsaved person? And I said, I can't. Because the Bible says we're not to be unequally yoked. So I can't in good conscience say, and I'll pronounce you husband and wife. I take that as a really, really important important thing. Now, I want you to understand the reason behind that. You know, but I think people get a twisted idea of unequal yoking. The reason that God doesn't want a believer and an unbeliever to be in a marriage relationship is because often we will do things in order to meet the needs of our partner. And when we uh, get with God's program in order to meet the need of a partner, I don't think that's a covenant relationship with God. So I actually believe that the reason God said we're not to be unequally yoked is out of protection for the person who doesn't yet know Jesus. Because God wants to be in a relationship with that person, not because of another human being or to make them happy, but because God loves that person and they're having a reciprocal relationship one-on-one -on -one with each other. And so, um, is it doomed? Absolutely not. But I'm going to tell you unequivocally, my agenda and my prayer for you will be this, that both of you come to know Jesus. Because with him in the center of the relationship, marriage is a beautiful, beautiful serving contest. The goal is to outserve each other, and that is a challenge. Great question, though. That's awesome. Good, good, good. I don't think we've ever been asked that on an Ask Me Anything weekend. Okay, next question. What would you tell parents whose kids have come out in the LGBTQ community? I would say this. Um, your primary role is to love your children. You love them. All of the time, unconditionally. You love them. You love them. Now, this is where that difficult thing of grace and truth comes out. Okay? This is where grace and truth comes out, and it's really, really tough. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a list of sins. That's what the Bible calls them. And homosexuality is listed amongst those. Now, before you get your judgment on, I'm going to remind you of some of the other things that are in that list. Disobeying your parents. Oh, got real quiet in here, right? I think sometimes we fall victim to separating out. And all I know is this, God's standards are God's standards. I'm never going to apologize for those. But I'm also going to understand this. The Bible says when it comes to sexuality, anything, anything outside of a covenant relationship, marriage relationship between a man and a woman does not meet God's standard. I know that's hard, and I know it's not culturally relevant, and I know it's not politically correct, but I hope you'll at least appreciate the conviction and the heart of love that it comes from, that sometimes you need to have grace and truth in a conversation, which means you need the grace to love no matter what, but you need the truth to also say, this is what God says, so now we're going to stay in relationship with each other, and we're going to work this out one day at a time but we're going to enter into the journey together. I've never seen it go well for a parent ever after their child makes any decision they don't agree with for them to pull away and reject relationship. I just don't think it works. 
So here's what we do. We press in together. We press in together. Uh, I preached on the Sodom and Gomorrah passage a couple weeks ago. A little uncomfortable considering our current cultural. But you know what? What was amazing was that people come and say to me, you know what, Grant, I don't agree with you. I think you might be wrong when it comes to that position, but I appreciate your conviction and I appreciate the fact that while you're telling me hard truth, you never ever take away your hand. So I'm going to say this. We can disagree but my hand's not going anywhere and our relationship is not going anywhere. We invite you to step into a conversation, a dialogue, and I hope you'll at least respect our conviction that all we're trying to do more than anything is hold to the holy word of God as best we can because this is all I got for you. All I got for you. So love them, grace and truth. Okay? All right. Everybody okay? All right, you're good. All right. That's awesome. I can tell, like, this age demographic in our church just split because the whole group of people are like, what is that all about? It's called YouTube. You should try it sometime. It's really, really cool. So there's this thing going around where you listen to these words and half of the population hears Yanni and the other half hears Laurel. How it got confused, I don't know. I'll tell you what, I go with Laurel every single time because that's the way it should be. All right. That's a great question. Okay, all right. Next. All right. The Jewish faith worships the same God we do, but they don't recognize Jesus, Jesus as the Messiah. Will God still allow them into heaven? Next question. Um, <laughs> so here's what's fascinating to me. Um, people often ask, Grant, why do you go to Israel? Well, we go to Israel to walk where Jesus walked, but we also go to, to understand the story of God's chosen people, and we understand the Jewish roots of our faith, which I think are really, really important. What's interesting is, so the Bible says, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 are great chapters to go to on this. Romans chapter 11 is a great chapter to go, because it actually talks about how um, the chosen people of God have a spiritual veil that's difficult to see through. Now, before you go, yeah, they got a veil. I'm going to tell you something. You know what our veil is? It's materialism. We're so blessed we can't see Jesus because why in the world do you need him when you've got a 62-inch big screen? When all your bills are paid and in answer to the Lord's prayer, all you have to do is give us this day my daily bread. I just walk to the refrigerator and it's done. So we have to be careful how we distinguish somebody else's veil because if you don't think we got one, I think you're mistaken. But, but those passages, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, Romans chapter 11, talk about a spiritual veil that's there. And, uh, and I think it just boiled down to this, whether it's the Jewish faith or whatever you're looking at as an expression of, of faith or religion. Uh, my favorite verse in scripture is also one of the most exclusive scriptures, Acts chapter four, verse 12, which says, salvation belongs to no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. So it's not only... 
It's not only Jewish people who may have rejected Jesus as Messiah. Can we face it? Most of the people in our country have rejected Jesus as Messiah. So we have to come back to we have to come back to that. And there are many of us who name God. Oh, I love God. In fact, 75% of people in this country identify themselves as Christians. I use the word Jesus follower because I think there's a difference. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Following Jesus can make you unpopular. Following Jesus puts a certain kind of a target. That's just the way that it goes. But Jesus said you'll be blessed if you follow that. And so I think the important thing in answering any of these questions is saying what, what we believe around here. We actually believe Jesus is the Messiah. We believe that Jesus is the answer to the over 700 prophecies that are in Scripture that point towards Jesus Christ as the Savior and the King of the world. And so we're going to exalt Jesus as best we can because we're going to try and convince as many people as possible that Jesus is the answer. Now, what I know is this, because Acts 4.12 says that there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I believe anyone who rejects Jesus is risking their eternity. And the cool thing is God's made a way for you to not have to risk your eternity. In fact, God doesn't want anyone to spend eternity away from him. He wants to welcome us all into his family. That's why in the book of Romans, he keeps talking about adoption. Maybe you don't know this today. The God of heaven wants to adopt you. He wants you to come into his family. He doesn't want you to reject him. And he says there's only way, one way that that gets done, and that's to name Jesus as King, Lord, and Messiah of your life. I did that when I was 18 years old. Changed everything. I was going the wrong way. Naming Jesus as my Messiah may not have been politically correct, but it's the best decision I've ever made. And I would invite you to come into that family so that you can have your eternity secured and you can walk alongside of us as we uncover this incredible journey of following Jesus the best way that we can, okay? So to me, the answer is Jesus, period, always. Okay, next question. What if I stopped believing in God? I'm, I'm hoping that's a typo. What if I stopped believing in God when times got rough and now I'm having a hard time getting back to Christianity? Um, well, number one, I think it makes you human. And I'm glad you're here. Because I think we've all gone through seasons where we've struggled. And anybody who says, I've never, I've never struggled with my belief in God, then I, I would challenge you and say, then I think you need to press in a little harder. Just saying. Um, so I understand when somebody says, I've gone through a really, really difficult time and I struggled to believe in a God that, that could allow me to go through that or allow a family member to go through that. I spend a lot of time as a pastor having those conversations. And sometimes when you say, you know, now I'm having a hard time getting back to Christianity, I would say this, come back to Jesus because he understands hard times. I remind people as often as I possibly can. Jesus prayed in the garden, God, if there's any way this cup can pass for me. That was his season of testing and hard. I mean, if there were questions, I mean, he asked the question on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Incredible. But in that moment, Jesus entered fully into the relationship. 
God had to turn his back because he took on the sins of the world, but he also gave life back to him. And I would say this, if you're having a hard time coming back to Christianity, let's forego that. Come back to Jesus and understand that he understands your pain better than anybody. And if you need a reason to come back, I'll tell you this. Nobody knows you better than Jesus knows you. And nobody loves you more than Jesus loves you. And nobody gets to judge you other than Jesus. So instead of pulling away, move a little bit closer. How do you do that? You do it the same way all the rest of us do. You wake up in the morning and you say, God, this is your day. And I got no idea what I'm going to face, but I'm going to do it with you, not without you. It takes a huge step of faith to take a step towards Jesus. I would encourage you to take a step towards Jesus in some small way. Step into him, not away from him. That's how you get back on track on that narrow road. And let's be honest, the Bible says few people find it. So if you're struggling to get back on it, welcome to the family. We're glad that you're here. We'll walk with you. Okay, we're cool with that. All right, let's go to the next one. In your relationship with God, what is something really hard for you to wrap your mind around? Oh. Grace. I don't get it. You know what? I don't, I don't understand grace because I know me. And I know how many times I've had the opportunity to step towards God and I stepped away. And the fact that I can say, Father, forgive me, I didn't know what I was doing. Or sometimes, Father, forgive me, I knew exactly what I was doing. The fact that he gives me grace to cover that and doesn't just say, Fishbook, your quota's up. You're done. Get out. Because I know me and I know how I, ha I have a natural inclination to create quotas for people, you hurt me once, okay. You hurt me twice, we're done. The fact that God responds to me in grace, mercy, forgiveness, and compassion, I can't wrap my head around that. It doesn't make sense. But I'm so grateful. <laughs> you know, I know it's an old song. It's a cliche, right? Amazing grace. I love it. Every time we start singing that song, even the toughest people in the room melt because there's something so offensively attractive about grace. And you can't find grace anywhere else like you can find grace with Jesus. And the fact that he loves us into those moments, man, I just don't even have, I don't have a box for it. I don't want a box for it. It overwhelms me every single time. Um, and the fact that I see God's grace in you every weekend <laughs> and showing up here just makes me so glad to be a part of a grace-filled family. I don't know what else we can offer, but I'll tell you what, grace is so uncommon. We're going to go with the grace program. We'll see how that rolls for us, okay? Amen and amen and amen. All right, let's do a couple more. I feel God looks at me with disappointment and disgust. I have felt struck, stuck spiritually for years because of this. Are there scriptures I can use to work through this? <laughs> for you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God doesn't make garbage 
You are a daughter of the Most High God, worthy of honor and respect. You are a son of the King. And I don't care what lie you have been given to paint yourself with disappointment and disgust. I have a question that may put you back on your heels. Who are you to call God's creation disgusting? That whole identity thing that we did was all about getting back in touch with the fingerprints of God that are on your soul. I feel God looks at me with disappointment and disgust. You're wrong. You're wrong. That's not how he looks at you. He looks at you the same way. My son is right over there. I'm so proud of him. I love him. I would die for him. He's the most beautiful human being on the face of the earth along with my wife and my daughter, just to be clear. (laughs) Seriously, there's nothing that Braden could ever do that would make me love him any less. And I'm embarrassing him right now. Good, deal with it because I love talking about it. Okay, that's the father heart of God in the position towards you. He looks at you the same way. He doesn't look at you based upon your worst moment. He looks upon you with the grace that we just finished talking about. And I get it. Oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. After all the the garbage that I've thrown towards Jesus, in my human mind, I make a logical deduction. He must look at me with disgust. That's the crazy thing about grace. Jesus is just like, I don't see disgust. I see beauty, I see hope, I see family, I see worthy, I see honor, I see love. So the disgust and shame, I'll tell you where that's coming from. That's coming from the devil himself. Do me a favor, tell the devil, not today. today. You don't get to lie to me today about my true spiritual identity. I am his, and he is mine. So um, I love the book of Ephesians because it just brings into such crystal clarity our hope in the relationship that we have. I would encourage you to go there. I would also encourage you to go to the book of John because it's so relational. I talked about this in the last service. It's relational, it's intimate. It's all about Jesus connecting with other people. Uh, We got to go to Jacob's well in Israel we know Jacob's well is the, is the meeting place where Jesus met the woman who had, a, had an interesting reputation. And Jesus and her had this incredible conversation. He broke every cultural rule in the book. And you know what her invitation was at the end? She ran back to her home and said, you need to come and see a man. Come and see a man who told me things that blew my mind. That man was the son of God. So I'd like to encourage you to go to the book of John. I love Ephesians for this as well. But more than anything, I I want to declare to you today on behalf of God's son, he does not and has never, ever looked at you with disappointment and disgust. Okay, all right. Last one. Oh, we're over time. We're over time, we're over time, we're over time. Okay, final question. What would you say to people who use the scripture in the name of God to preach hate and exclusion? I would say 
I would say you need to stop. I would say that anyone who would use the name of God to perpetuate hate, let me be really blunt, I wouldn't want to be you. I wouldn't want to be you because the only person that I know that preaches hate and exclusion um, is the enemy himself. Does God have standards? Yes. Does God talk about um, difficult topics in scripture that could be construed as being exclusive or um, sin is one of those issues? (laughs) But God has a remedy for sin and he invites us to step in. Um, When I see preachers using this book to perpetuate hate, it just breaks my heart. Because my Bible says that one day, every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every color, every family from across the human race will gather together at the throne of Jesus. And we will all take a knee together. And I invite you to be included in that moment. So I, uh, I have pretty low tolerance about people who use this as the wrong kind of weapon. This book is a weapon, but it's a weapon for love. It's a weapon for grace. It's a weapon for truth. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. That's why we come to church every week to find out what in the world's God going to say to us today. But I hope and pray that we could be, uh, as Scripture describes, Regardless of our opinion, that we would be ambassadors of reconciliation. And then we would reach out to each other in that moment. I had somebody say to me earlier today, um, this is probably the first and only time that I'm going to come here because I'm not sure I fit. I said, really, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you don't know my story. You don't know mine. I said, can I tell you something? I said, if you're screwed up, you're going to fit right in. (laughs) Because this is a glorious, dysfunctional expression of the family of God. And it is a place of both grace and truth. And we hope you'll step in instead of stepping away. Because we'd like to walk the journey together. So our time is up. We got to go. And I got to go. Um, you have been uh, with me, suffering <laughs> at some level, um, but serving together for almost 20 years. In church world, that makes me an absolute dinosaur. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to say thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to step away. I want to thank the elders and the advisory council of Christ the King, uh, those wonderful men and women who walk alongside of us for their grace and giving us an opportunity to step away and get some rest. Now, uh, we've had uh, an interesting season, and we're excited to see what God has for us in the future, and uh, so excited to be able to, to come back in August and, and continue to preach. I will make one promise and covenant with you. We will always use this book. And we will always make this about Jesus because it's supposed to be about Jesus. And I want to thank you for your love, for your patience, 
over the years as we walk together with this. Thanks for allowing your pastors to be people and recognize that sometimes we just need to step away and get some rest. And the goal of that is to be able to come back um, and to give ourselves to this beautiful work that God has given to us. So uh, on behalf of Laurel and I, man, we love you. Excited to uh, see you again in August when we come back together as a family of faith. I hope you'll be faithful while we're gone. And uh, thank you so much for your prayers. We are so unbelievably honored to do this journey together with you. Thank you for coming to another weekend of Ask Me Anything. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here across the front, and I'll be down here uh, channeling my extroverted self as best I could, and I'll give as many hugs as I can in the next 15 minutes. God bless you guys, and you are out of here. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.